Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here at The Guardian, we love podcasts. Not only do we make dozens of award winners ourselves, but we also write about our favourite podcasts from around the world too. Every week, our column Hear, Hear, that's here as in hearing and here as in where, comes out filled with recommendations from you, our listeners. We sift through them all to find the hidden gems that the podcasting world has to offer. These podcasts are often small yet mighty productions, which you probably wouldn't find highlighted on your usual podcatchers. So, if you're looking for your next podcast or have one that you want to share with the world, sign up for our weekly Hear Hear newsletter at theguardian.com forward slash podmail and send us an email at podcasts at theguardian.com. The Guardian. Hello, this is Brexit Means, The Guardian's weekly guide to all that's happening and even all that isn't in the exciting world of Brexit. This time, in the latest in our occasional series on how different EU27 countries think of Brexit, we're going to be looking at France. What do Britain's closest European neighbours make of our decision to leave the bloc? What's their strategy for dealing with it? And is it the case that they even, perish the thought, hope to benefit from it? Now, what the French think matters, obviously, not just because along with Germany, France's voice is obviously one of the more important in Europe, especially under its energetic and unashamedly pro-European new president, Emmanuel Macron. So it may have a disproportionate influence over the end result of Brexit. But it matters also because France is, for most Brits, after all, where foreign begins. The two countries have a long and, shall we say, tangled history. Anyway, with me to discuss France and Brexit are, on the line, Sonia de la Salle-Stolper, who is the UK and Ireland correspondent for the French newspaper Libération. And here in the studio, Eric Albert, who writes for Le Monde, mainly on UK economic affairs and the city, and Renaud Thier, an EU and French politics and policy analyst with the business advisory firm Flint Global, who, like everyone else, is probably spending rather more time on Brexit at present than is altogether good for him. So... Welcome to all of you. Can we begin a little bit at the beginning? Sonia, um, you've been in the UK for probably longer than you'd like to be reminded of, I imagine. How would you characterise the way that France saw the UK as a partner when Britain was still in the EU? I mean, we are still for another year or so in the EU. Um, but obviously, the two countries haven't always seen eye to eye. Is, I mean, the question, I suppose, really is, will France miss Britain in Europe? 
Well, I think, yes, as you say, I've been here for much too long now to to admit uh, I've seen uh, quite a lot of what happened politically in the UK. In terms of the relationship, I would say, I mean, I would say Britain has always been seen as a little bit the annoying member of the, you know, European Union, the one always asking for some special treatment, Mm. not that it has changed actually uh, today. But on the other hand, it has as well always been seen as a very pragmatic, reasonable country, which I think is a perception which has drastically changed over the last 18 months. <laughs> OK, yes. Renaud, is, is Paris glad to see the back of London then? I mean, the British have always seen Europe as a kind of a sort of a French Gallic political project, really, haven't they? Will Britain's departure increase France's influence in the 27, do you think? Well, I think it was clearly the initial reaction. You know, there there was a bit of, uh, as we say in German, schadenfreude um, to see Brexit happening. And it was a widespread feeling among the the French public. But uh, having said that, once you've said, well, this is a great opportunity to relaunch the EU, we're going to do great things with Germany, finally, we won't have the Brits... Uh, holding us back. Well, if you look at it a bit more closely and one and a half year assistance, I think today the view is more balanced, actually. And uh, I mean, I have the feeling, I don't know about uh, Eric and Sonia, but I have the feeling France is entering a sort of uh, Brexit phase. I mean, its own phase two of Brexit, (laughs) starting to look at how Brexit is going to impact different economic sectors, how it's going to affect the strategic relationship with Britain. Because ultimately, uh, and here France and the UK, I think, are very pragmatic. They want very strong security relationship Mm -hmm. to to go on. Mm -hmm. And my feeling that today senior officials in Paris would rather avoid anything that would disrupt the strategic relationship. So they won't allow Brexit to disrupt too much, I would say. Okay, well, that's going to that's going to create some tensions, though, isn't it, within the EU? Because France so far has been very careful or has been one of the main proponents, one of the main voices of that EU mantra of the four freedoms must be must be preserved, uh, you know, no cherry picking and, and all that kind of thing. I mean, it, it is true. And I think it's still true. I mean, if you listen, uh, yeah, what, what Macron says and what, what French ministers say. But uh, I would say... There's a bit of a contrast between the French and the German attitudes here because the German keep quiet and haven't made, I mean, di- didn't make, uh, you know, a lot of noise at first. Mm-hmm. But today, in fact, they are taking a very, you know, le- legalistic hard line. You know, yeah. and they are saying, well, you know, if you want single market access, uh, it will have a you know, very high cost. And I think the French might be wonder if there are a- any ways around this. You okay, know. Well, that's and, interesting. Uh, well, we'll, I we'll... Mean, it's it's my impression, okay. at least to, talking to people in Paris. Okay. Well, we'll explore that a little bit further, and we'll talk a bit more detail about the bilateral um, relationships later. But Eric, I just wanted to come to you. Do you think there was a surprise, really, in in France at the way at the the actual fact of the vote? You know, I know that the Brits have always been, as Sonia was saying, the you know the, the sort of EU angry brigade. But did, I mean, did France actually expect them to leave? I don't think so, but I don't think many people in Britain were expecting Britain to actually vote out, uh, including Brexiters who voted. You know, it, it was such a close margin. Uh, but you know, Sonia did it, uh, s- said it well. Um, 
Britain was seen as the annoying member of the family, but it was a member of the family. And so it's never nice to see a member of the family leaving. I don't think there's anyone rejoicing. But you know, judging from the, the comments uh, of my readers, uh, you know, and mm. people do read a lot about Brexit, they are very interested. Mm. And before the referendum, you had quite a strand of people saying, well, you know what, we've had enough of the EU as well. I can understand some Brexiters. Since that, that has disappeared, and now you got only two strands of um, of replies, really, which is one is good riddance. Mm-hmm. Um, you, do, you do have still <laughs> some of that. And most of it is, why such an act of self-harm? Why? You know, explain me, what are you doing, you Brits? And this is really what people mostly write. And, and, and from far away, there might be now a slight change in France, but from far away, it looks like like a very strange thing that is happening an, an, here. An act of self-harm. When I said that Britain has always been a little bit the annoying member of the family, the uncle at the table who is always mourning about something and wanting something more, a bit more wine or a bit different wine or whatever, it's true in one way. But the other way is as well that the fact that Britain has always been at the heart of the European Union and at the heart of quite a lot of fundamental bits which have made what it is today. I mean, including or first and foremost, maybe the single market. market, It was was a British initiative initially or or the enlargement of the the EU. So I don't think, and I agree with Eric on that, that I don't think anyone is happy about Britain leaving. And even less since it's been clear that it is super, super complicated to leave the EU. And it doesn't look for now. I mean, we haven't seen anywhere apart from the rather uh, optimistic or I would say uh, wishful thinking Mm. of quite a lot of member of government saying that there is anything positive about Brexit. We haven't seen anything. And I think the public sees that as well uh, around Europe. And I think as well from what Renaud was saying about the perspective from the vision in Germany and the vision in France. I think in France we have we have to separate the vision of the public opinion, which are basically based on what they read in the papers or see on TV, and mm-hmm. what they see is basically that it is very complicated. Mm-hmm. And the vision from the government, who is much more aware of the necessity of keeping a, a close relationship with Britain, but, and I think that there are all agree on that, being in France or in Germany, it can't be at the cost of the European Union uh, structure. And the European Union structure is a very legal body, and you have to respect the the legality of it and the rules of it. So I can't see France being softer than Germany on the four freedoms, for example. Okay. Now, uh, both of you in the studio here wanted to come in on that. Eric, you first. No, just one quick thing. Yeah. Uh, historical reminder, we all know that, but you know, Britain has always been at the heart of the European Union. N- not quite. It was not there at the beginning. Of course, the goal said no twice mm. and join only much later. So... Uh, it has always been a bit of a special a semi-outsider, yes. a semi-outsider. Yes, that was best best captured for me by the, the a fantastic tweet from from Xavier Bettel, the the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, a few months ago, who who tweeted sort of words to the effect, basically, of bloody Brits. You know, when they were in, all they wanted was opt outs, and now they want to be out, and all they want is opt ins. Yeah, Renaud, you wanted to come in. Uh, this question of the four freedoms, because I mean, it, it is true, isn't it, that that in the the, 
even in the days after the referendum, uh, François Hollande, who was the your then president, obviously was very quick to come out and uh, with this sort of no cherry picking line. Since last summer's election, Emmanuel Macron, who succeeded him, obviously has been, you know, if anything, even more forthright. Britain cannot expect to retain the benefits of membership without the obligations and so on. Um, I mean, those those have to be real red lines for France, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's clearly the, the starting point, you know, of, of the EU27 position and of the French position that, yes, the single market had, has rules and... Uh, where the UK, I mean, if the UK wants to to um, retain the advantages of the single market, it has to abide by the rules. And I think this is very clear. This is a very simple message to communicate to the public. And clearly, uh, France will keep, you know, um, um, uh, I mean, we will stick to, to, to this line because it's also the line on which th- there is a consensus with uh, the other, the other, you know, tw- tw- mm-hmm. tw- 27 members. Having said that, it I mean, w- once you say that, of course, the, the second leg is also to look at your own interests, you know, and your own situation, mm. uh, geographical situation with the UK, uh, your own economic interests, your own um, yeah, strategic relationship. And so I think French officials at the moment are probably trying to square the circle between, you know, keeping this very, you know, sort of high level um, a very clear line about rules, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, rules associated with the single market, mm-hmm. but at the same time trying to find pragmatic ways to defend uh, French interests or to protect French interests. And clearly here, um, uh, France's interests are not aligned with those of Germany and of other countries. So th- th- there might be, you know, sort of small space uh, for France to, to play with or to, uh, okay. you know, to... Uh, 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 operate in within um, to yeah you know the, to to protect French interests. Okay, yeah. well let's let's look at what a little bit more closely at what those interests might be. Starting um, Eric with you with trade really. Can you just uh, I mean I'm not looking specifically at the the city at the moment. We'll come on to that in in a, in a second. But what is the nature of, of Franco-British trade? Is France expecting or indeed even preparing? To, to take a kind of potential hit um, in the event of a hard Brexit. And sure, I mean, there are some, I mean, regions of France, the, the, the northern France, for example, and the whole area around, around Calais, the Channel ports. Uh, I mean, if, if in the event of, an, of, a, of a real kind of catastrophic Brexit, I mean, they, they would genuinely suffer, wouldn't they? The official forecast from the French Treasury, under any scenario, is Brexit will hit the, the French economy. Now, more or less, and of course, much less than what Britain would be. Uh, sure. Uh, so there's still this imbalance, and that's why the, the, the Brexit argument that you know you need us more than we need you mm. doesn't quite work. But there is a, a bit of truth. An I mean, element the, of truth. The in French that. wines uh, need to be exported somewhere, and yes, um, goods are mostly exported from France to Britain, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Um, there is a net uh, benefit for France on that. There's one exception, and very quickly, on the city. Mm-hmm. Um, the financial sector, which is a very regulated sector, um, is from Britain to Europe. It's exported pretty much one way. Um, and this is, so the obvious consequence for, for France, the, ob- the logical consequence mm-hmm. for that is we need a free trade deal on goods, industrial goods, possibly farming, although it's complicated, but you know, industrial goods for sure. But 
finance, no way. No way France is going to let the passporting back to Britain after Brexit. Okay, well, that's interesting. We'll, we'll talk about the city in a second. Um, Macron's visit last month, we heard quite a lot, didn't we, uh, from, from the sort of more excitable sections of the British press about a possible bespoke deal for Britain. Um, but on the other hand, as Eric was saying, he also made it very clear that there could be no kind of tailored arrangement for the city unless the UK was prepared to pay into the budget and accept the EU rules and everything. And, you know, what is the actual... I mean, my sense is that the, the really Macron wasn't straying very far at all from the official EU line. What's your what's your take? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm always amazed by the the reading of the <laughs> the, the British press. I mean, I should say of the British Eurosceptic press uh, towards anything said by any European leader or member of the Commission or member of the European Parliament. What Emmanuel Macron did when he came here for that bilateral summit was doing exactly what he has been saying over and over since he's been elected president, that he wants a very close relationship with Britain, that we have historic and very strong relationships in terms of um, of security, mm-hmm. of of defense, of uh, I mean, all all those are really very precious. I mean, we are the only two uh, nuclear, I mean, countries in the European Union with nuclear mm-hmm. power. So, so it is very true, and he said that and repeated that. But he said as well that there was no way that uh, he would. Uh, give, I mean, the bespoke deal, he never said that. The bespoke <laughs> deal was what Theresa May was saying while they were having the common press conference. And he answered back saying, you can have an, an agreement if you respect the four freedoms. So about the financial services, for example, no way you can't have a deal if you don't respect the four freedoms, specifically the freedom of movement, to which Theresa May re- <laughs> responded, I still want to have an agreement with the services in. And Hmm. I'm afraid there is a really clear misunderstanding there or, I mean, a a non-wish of of understanding what what has been said. And it's not that Macron said anything new at at all. So sort of willful misinterpretation. Renaud, you wanted to... Well, I, my, my, my own understanding of, the, of this episode is that <laughs> he actually did say something about, yes, that there will be a deal or uh, indeed a bespoke. I mean, I'm not sure he used the word bespoke, mm. but a deal, uh, which will be tailored to, you know, the, the reality of the UK being, you know, very large, important. But, but, but no, more than, no more, but, I guess, than in a sense that every deal will be unique because, yeah, because exactly. every deal is unique exactly yeah by 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 definition the the deal will be bespoke but he also kind of implied there would be something between you know it's not the alternative is not just as michel barnier repeats between uh okay either you go norway mm. or you go ca- canada mm-hmm. i mean obviously if there is a free trade agreement like canada well you can expect the services chapter to be a bit more you know robust or a bit more uh, you know and typically, uh, I mean, I'm slightly sure, uh, expanded uh, services. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can expect regulatory dialogue in financial mm. services, typically, or perhaps some form of some forms of joint supervision. 
I don't know, but mm. um, so I think that that that's what he meant, indeed. Okay. But, but 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 saying this is indeed very far, still very far from saying, well, yeah, you can have a, yeah. you can be part of the single market for financial services, or and and sort of quite revealing, I suppose, of the projections that the pro Brexit media and indeed pro Brexit politicians here are. Uh, are, are. But but it, I mean, what, what he did say at the Andrew Marr show was, you know because he was asked of Canada and Norway mm. and those mm. two extreme models. And he said, well, there is something in between. And it's just a matter of fact, we know there's something in between. There's at least Switzerland. I know the EU said we don't want to replicate the Switzerland deal. And actually no one in Switzerland is defending their own deal anymore. So that makes it a bit complicated, but mm. it exists. So there are stuff in between. Uh, and and at the end, the most likely scenario, is there will be some kind of agreement somewhere in between, but probably I mean, the quid pro quo, which is, you know, freedom of movement means, uh, I mean, single market means freedom of movement. This quid pro quo has not l- gone. It's still yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and on top of Switzerland, there's also Ukraine, which is, I know, a very attractive model for the UK. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, let's just return briefly to this, the, this, this bilateral. We've touched on it already, but it is important, this bilateral um, relationship. You know, a bit above and beyond that, that magnificent coup of the of the buyer tapestry and everything you know which was a really a, a, a very grand and imaginative <laughs> diplomatic gesture which quite possibly will never happen but leaving that aside um you know the, the France got quite a bit out of uh, out, out of this out of that summit didn't it really uh you know uh, uh extra cash uh manpower for the border at Calais uh you know helicopter support in Africa and 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 this kind of thing um you know Renaud, you you said France was having to consider very carefully and weigh up its national interest didn't that summit reveal in a way Certainly, I, as, a, as an observer of these kind of bilateral summits for many years now, I don't think I can remember one where the balance of power was was quite so out of kilter, really. I mean, it, it's quite clear, wasn't it, that Britain is the needier of the two partners at the moment? Yeah, no, it's true. It conveyed the, this impression that, um, yeah, May, May was uh, basically offering a number of things and Macron was just taking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he sees... I think the, the Franco-British relationship has a sort of separate um, avenue or ch- channel, if you right. want. And he knows that, yes, because because May tries to, you know, sort of soften France's stance, stance on, on Brexit, she has to give, you know, uh, she has to give to him um, as part of the bilateral relationship. He's sort of playing that for all it's worth. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's it's he's being very pragmatic about it. There, there's a fa- favorable c- context, um, and uh, you know, typically, if the French, if the Brits wants to wants the French to cooperate on customs and to facilitate mm-hmm. customs uh, pro- uh, pro- procedures after Brexit, well, the Brits might need to show some goodwill uh, on controlling people, I mean, on, on, on pay, paying more, you know, to control people and to, right. to, to get some migrants for, from Cali. So that, that was the kind of trade, trade-off which was at play, although uh, they, they didn't talk about Brexit because mm. um, uh, officially it's a non-issue, you know, it's an yeah. issue which is well, at, and, at, and, at and European it's, level. And it officially it's not a bilateral issue. That's uh, exactly. But that was the exactly. backdrop of everything. Yeah. 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 The balance of power would not have been so unequal without Brexit, of 
course. Mm. And that's what changed everything. Of course. Um, and, and I love that. You know, how about a reminder that we invited you a thousand years ago and in exchange you give us more manpower? Mm. That sounds like a good <laughs> exactly. to me. But do you think that's going to, Eric, I mean, d- turning to you, does that, I mean, does that, the the strength of that special relationship, uh, even if at the moment it does look sort of particularly one way, but, there's, you know, there's clearly there is a strong relationship there, which both sides value. Is that going to be able to provide any kind of leverage for Britain during during the actual Brexit negotiations? Or is France going to succeed, as Uno was saying, in basically keeping the two things completely separate? I think it's impossible to keep it completely separate, but that's going to be very difficult for Theresa May to actually use that. Because you know, she tried, remember, a year ago to say... We might, you know, change a little bit our defense agreement with the rest of Europe if uh, we don't have a good deal. She had to roll back from that right Very away fast. because, you know, actually, it is in Britain's interest to keep that relationship both sides. So it's very, I mean, it's very hard to see what leverage uh, Theresa May has really. Um, you know, it's facing much bigger partner, 27 countries. And so how do you possibly negotiate with that? It's very, very difficult. So she will try and she will try to put a wedge between Germany and France and Poland. That's going to be really tough. The first phase didn't show uh, the EU disintegrating at all and the second phase I can't see it happening either yeah yeah okay let's look a little bit at areas where France may be seeking to sort of actively profit from from Brexit Eric just briefly I mean Paris has made a very big and quite highly publicized play uh, for some of this city of London business after Brexit, hasn't it? I mean, how how serious uh, is France about finding that upside? And and will it be able, will Paris be able to strengthen its position as a kind of continental financial hub? The French financial sector sees it as, you know, one chance in 30 years. You know, for 30 years or, or so, you know, the French Paris has gone down as a financial sector. Um, and then suddenly two things happen, Brexit and macro. And, you know, for, for, for them, I mean, they, 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 are, they are regenerated, they, they, they speak in a completely different way, they can imagine Paris as a dynamic place. How much of that will actually translate in facts remains to be seen, but they've played to the maximum of their hands, really to the mm. maximum. Yeah, Sonia, I mean, you've been at some of these presentations when uh, uh, people from the sort of Paris uh, financial world have come over to London. How do you think they've been received here? Well, I think they've been received a, a bit of a bemusement because I think they've always been, uh, and there is still quite a, a little tiny bit of, um, I mean, there is that huge self-confidence here that London is the center of the financial world. Uh, I mean, not just for Europe, but for the rest of the world and that it, it's not going to change. So I think uh, here it was received, uh, I mean, I, I looked at my, um, you know, the, the British journalists who were present as well, and they were quite sceptical, for sure. On the other hand, I think more than just a question of bringing back a lot of, you know, uh, financial bits and bobs mm. to Paris, it is, it is quite uh, a question of symbolism as well. It's, it's, as Eric was saying, I mean, fortunes of France have completely changed in the last year and a half because, I mean, I remember just after Brexit having to, 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 to discuss and argue with lots of commentators here that Marine Le Pen wasn't a deal done as a president in France. 
and uh, because because there was that feeling here, maybe mm. maybe it was a bit of wishful thinking as well. That saying after, you know, after Brexit, after Trump, Trump yeah. surely, surely in France you're going to have that populist movement as well winning, and you'll have Marine Le Pen. We haven't. We have Emmanuel Macron, and it's and the economy of the European Union is getting better. So so I think in terms of symbols, if you look at the the, the agency European um, banking agency who mm-hmm. is going to go to Paris. In terms of jobs, it's not a huge amount. I can't remember. I think it's 200 uh, people. So it's not a huge amount of, of, uh, of people economically. But in terms of, of symbolism, I think it's, it's important because it means France is there. It's there in the, in the game and, and ready to play, something France like that. France is back, as, uh, as certain <laughs> Monsieur Macron likes to, <laughs> likes to say. OK, Renaud, you know, there's quite a bit of confusion clearly uh, uh, well here apart from anywhere else um, but also on the continent about what Britain actually wants from Brexit isn't it or maybe that's not really fair I mean it it is you know it's pretty clear what Britain wants but what's equally clear is that that's just not possible <laughs> you know Britain kind of seems to be persisting in wanting something that simply isn't on the table um, I mean does, does France share that view do you think is that is does Paris basically not get where where Britain's coming from, why it's persisting in this line? No, I mean, I, I think, as you say, they, they get what Britain would want to get or to obtain, but uh, they, they know that it's not possible and they know that British officials know it's not possible and uh, they're just waiting for a signal, you know, they're just waiting to see whether, um, you know, the sort of balance is going to, to tip or to, um, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and... Um, so I mean, French. Ofi- I think French officials are at this stage a little bit embarrassed, frankly, because uh, they, they they don't know. You know, they they have no clue. They they they, they really feel for Theresa May because they they can they understand she's uh, uh, she's yeah. torn. You know, she's. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I think to be fair, you know, quite apart from whatever you think about Theresa May's qualities or lack of them, I think any leader would struggle having yeah. been dealt the hand that she's no, indeed. been dealt. Indeed. I mean, it really looks like, you know, Britain is coming back to the situation where it was in the late 50s and early 60s, where it didn't quite know wh- wh- what it wanted, you know, whether to be, you know, fully engaged with, with Europe, with European partners, or whether, you know, to look elsewhere. Uh, and um, France, especially under Macron, has made, has sort of renewed its pro-European, pro-EU commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a quite spectacular way, uh, and Britain looks, yeah, a little bit uh, un, un, um, unsure of itself. Uh, un, yeah, if, if, yeah if, Eric, it feels like the balance is is shifting. Very much so. And you know, one thing on on the city, what's really interesting is the people who have been convinced by Macron really are the French of the city. So it's French people who walked here and who have for a very long time practice quite heavily French bashing, thinking, gosh, we can't get anything right, look at the Thatcherite way, it's much better, Mm. and are finally feeling, ah, that the balance is changing. Proud to be French again. Exactly, and (laughs) some of them, but we're talking about a few hundreds, a few thousand jobs maximum Mm. are going back. Um, so there, there is this sense, but a word of caution, you know, Macron won with really 26% of the votes, uh, I mean, a quarter of the electorate. Marine Le Pen did not as well, but you know it wasn't that far. It was twenty percent or uh, twenty-one, whatever it was. So, and if there was a Frexit vote in France, I'm not quite sure how it would turn out. So, you know, 
all of that right now is indeed the balance is shifting. Indeed, you know, the Eurozone crisis is a bit behind us. Mm -hmm. The refugee crisis is a bit behind us. The spectacle of Britain is is deplorable right now, but it might change again. So, you know, let's not, it's not, not the, the balance is shifting, but has not shifted yet. I would add to this that Macron has invested a lot of political capital into EU integration, you know, mm. Eurozone reform. So he, he he's really, he's trying to push hard to, to get a sort of grand deal with Germany, but it might not happen, you know, I mean, uh, as uh, I mean, uh, clearly the, the sort of grand coalition scenario is good for him. I mean, it's, it's better for him than, uh, you know, other options in yeah. Germany. But still, um, you know, German policymakers, I mean, politicians are very skeptical mm. about uh, sort of great leap forward. Actually can and so wh what will happen you know, if Macron doesn't Fails. get very much? You know, he will be under heavy criticism from uh, Laurent Wauquiez, so mm -hmm. the new uh, Republican leader. Marine Le Pen and Mélenchon will say, well, look, yeah. you know, you can't do anything with this EU, so uh, th there's no point, uh, mm. you know. Uh, so. Yeah, the picture could yet shift. OK, we're running a little bit out of time. Sonia, I just wanted one quick question, and we sort of touched on it just there. But, you know, France has a couple of quite strongly Eurosceptic parties, uh, doesn't it? How has the sort of spectacle of Brexit and this evidence, really, that's becoming clearer every day that trying to leave the EU is a very, very difficult job. How is that being perceived in France? Well, I think it's probably one of the only positive side of Brexit, actually. It has raised, and, and not just in France, but everywhere, the feeling that actually uh, European Union is not that bad at all. The, the European feeling um, has, has grown. I think that there are quite a lot of people around Europe and actually even in Britain who are suddenly realizing or discovering what uh, being European means. Mm. And f talking about Mélenchon or, or about Jean-Marie Le Pen, it's uh, it, Jean-Marie Le Pen, sorry, <laughs> I'm kind of mixing up his father and daughter. Uh, it's quite it's quite, um, it's quite interesting to see that the Front National began its presidential campaign with an agenda which was arguing for a Frexit, mm -hmm. so uh, coming out of the European Union plus coming out of the euro. And as the, the campaign was going on, and parallelly that the discussion on Brexit here were clearly not um, being resolved very quickly, uh, you, you could basically, they, they, they just let down those, they forgot those uh, those arguments and they said, yeah. well, actually, maybe we're not talking about a referendum and, mm. and Frexit, and maybe let's not talk about coming out of the, of the euro. So it is not right now, um, um, there, there is no discussion and no appetite for a referendum on Frexit in France mm. at all. It doesn't mean that if there was a referendum tomorrow, lots of unsatisfied people would maybe vote for it, but, but no one is ever is actually is going right now it. to argue for that. Okay, final question. I'm going to put you each on the spot, if you don't mind. Sonia, let's start with you. We are in February 2018. In 13 months' time, Britain will leave the European Union. What form will Brexit take? Where do you think it, it, it's going to go? I don't know. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I have been trying to figure out what could happen uh, for the last 18 months. And every time I've been trying to make any prediction, I been proved wrong because it is everything is so um, fragile and so unsettled mm. and uh, that I wouldn't dare. I mean, right now, I think the main big, big problem and the one who might 
completely destroy Brexit is actually the island question. I can't see in any way how they can resolve that without staying in the custom union at least. So either the government decide that after all that's the only way to save their their so-called Brexit or either they carry on without that and then I don't see where they're going. Okay, Renaud? Well, I mean, I think the baseline scenario is that uh, in 13 months' time, you know, in, in early spring to 2019, um, uh, well, Britain and the, the EU uh, will move towards, uh, you know, a sort of first transition period or perhaps an open-ended transition period on the basis of, an, of a very generally worded agreement, which will have solved absolutely nothing, <laughs> including the Irish question. Okay. <laughs> and so, so everything's I, just going to be kicked down the road. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, yeah. And, and clearly until then, uh, who knows what, what may happen on the political front here in the UK. So That's the, the, the big question, certainly. Yeah, Eric, final word? My bet is that there will be a deal, not very detailed, that, you know, the cliff edge is extremely unlikely. I don't really believe in a massive political crisis. It, it can happen anytime, but I don't really believe in it. And I think we are going towards some kind of free trade agreements on industrial goods and not on services, probably not on, on farm either. But that's going to take, I mean, the one thing that's for sure, it's going to take forever. We'll talk about that again in 2019 and 2020 and so on and so forth. Okay. See you again in 2022. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that is it then for this week. Um, My thanks to Sonia, to Eric, to Renaud for joining me today. If you have any questions or suggestions about topics we should be looking at, or if you just want to get in touch, do please email us at Brexit Podcast. That's all one word, Brexit Podcast at theguardian.com. Please subscribe, review on all your favorite podcatchers, join the discussion on Twitter. You just need to search for Guardian Podcasts. Till next week then, I'm John Henley. The producer was Max Sanderson. This was Brexit Means and thank you very much for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.